rise from our seats again as we continue to worship God, as we receive our scripture reading, which comes from Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 35. This is his word for us today. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Morning, case PC. Uh, let's look to the left and right and say, I love you in the Lord. The awkward laughter tells me that it's hard to mean it sometimes. <laughs> Uh, but I hope it's true. Um, are you ready to receive the word of God? Yes. Out of the four soils that are present in uh, Jesus' parable, the thorny, the rocky soil, the soil where the crow picks it up, I hope your heart is the soil that is rich and ready to receive the word of God, that there will be much fruit. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we receive your word with thanksgiving and joy. And even though there is a sting in your word, there is life that is given to us. May your word bury deep in our hearts and our minds and our souls to produce proper fruit that is a proper response to your revealed word. May we not idolize our own ideas and interpretations of your word, but help us receive it as it is. And as a result, may many people here come to receive Jesus as he is. There are so many people that are so close to meeting Jesus and so many people who need to hear his word because there are physical and spiritual ailments and there are relational difficulties that, that we face. Uh, Lord, only you can heal them. Only you can be a savior that is good and big and powerful enough to encompass all the needs of our hearts. So Lord, be with us and please present yourself accurately through today's word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, what if you were a newcomer to our church, uh, let's say your name is David, like I am, uh, and you go to the back and you uh, shake hands with a welcome team member and you say, hi, my name is David. And they reply, hi, Bob. And you say, it's David. And you say, okay, Bob. And the conversation goes back and forth like that. Uh, would you be offended? Probably. It's rude, right? Uh, there is a rudeness when we do not accept the word that is given to us at face value. Many people uh, listen to the message of God. They read the word and they have responses like, Pastor, I'm so happy that Jesus is in my life because he fulfills all my wishes. Jesus is such a good friend that he always comforts me even when I'm in the wrong Jesus is such an inspiration that I can design my life around him when I'm down in my life. And almost everyone 
seems to believe in Jesus. I'm just not sure which version of Jesus they believe in. Uh, so many different versions and understandings, the wrong Jesus that we believe in. And today's text, uh, it takes place in the midst of a much greater conversation, a, great, a greater context. All of chapter 7, it takes place when Jesus has publicly introduced himself and his ministry, and the people are responding to him in radically different ways. Let's look at the first picture. And let's keep this picture up for about two minutes or three minutes. Uh, the beginning of the chapter in chapter 7, uh, way before today's text, you see a, a centurion with a sixth servant. Uh, and this centurion, even though he's a Gentile, a Roman officer, he correctly perceives the power and authority of Jesus. And he says, Jesus, you don't have to come to my house to, to, and bother coming to my house to physically heal, uh, heal my servant. All you have to do is, I am a man of authority, and so all you have to do is command so, and he will be better, even if you aren't in front of him. And Jesus says, I have never seen faith like this in Israel, the greatest faith there is right now. And then the next part is today's text, and this is where Jesus is addressing John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is beginning to doubt a little bit in Jesus' identity and mission. What Jesus does is he lovingly clarifies who he is to John while approving uh, and, and showing his life and his ministry in a new way. And also, uh, after today's text in chapter 7, uh, still in chapter 7, Jesus addresses the Pharisees and the scribes, and he says this, What shall I say about this generation? What shall I, shall I say about these people? And this is what he says about a parable. It's like children singing in a marketplace saying, We played the flute for you, but you wouldn't dance. We sang a sad dirge, and you did not cry. In other words, when Jesus ate and drank, the Pharisees would say, he's a glutton and a drunkard. When Jesus healed people, people would say, That's, like, that Jesus is demon-possessed. And when Jesus was flipping over tables, they would probably say, he's too zealous and inflexible. Every time something about Jesus is revealed, people receive it in a different and wrong way. I'm David. Hi, Bob. Week after week, I preach, hopefully with conviction, about who Jesus is and how you must accept him. But when you hear people's responses to the message sometimes, uh, they heard a different message. They heard what they wanted to hear. I played the flute about Jesus his power, his goodness, his character, but you wouldn't dance. You still wallow in self-pity and guilt. And you say, no matter what Jesus did, I still feel so bad about what I did, and I can't lift my face to look at Jesus. I sang a dirge about Jesus, that he died for you because of how sinful you are, and you still wouldn't weep. You are still self-sufficient, Proud and arrogant. I'm David. Hi, Bob. Luke chapter 7 shows a world where everyone sees Jesus differently. And it is such an accurate description of what happens even today. Those with a relationship with Jesus began to doubt. The so-called religious experts have him figured out completely wrong. And those you would never expect to know Jesus. Suddenly appreciate him 
in faith and know him by faith. A beautiful message that we can maybe draw from this text is, yeah, doubt is okay. Even John the Baptist doubted about Jesus' identity. And so, yes, even the best of us, at all times, we can also doubt Jesus, and doubt is a universal heritage. We might be confused about who he is, and that's okay. KCPC encourages dialogue about who Jesus is and encourages you to express your doubt. Don't dress yourself up saying, I am totally in line with what you say. I totally understand all of Reformed theology. You don't have to present that to us when you come here. It's okay to have doubts. But the, the chapter 7 forces me to ask the greatest question, and it's not about whether you can have doubts or not. The greatest question being asked in all this chapter and focusing on today's text is this. Do you see Jesus correctly? That, that's the biggest question. Do you see Jesus correctly? Uh, we can skip over that picture now. We would think that when it comes to correctly perceiving Jesus, uh, John the Baptist would be the best of the best, right? All his life, uh, he was sure of his calling to make way for the Lord. Like, like John the Baptist, when he was in his mother's belly, he jumped for joy when he came in proximity with Mary and Jesus. And so even before the womb, before his conscious faculties were operating even, he jumped for joy. Uh, Jesus, when, he saw Je uh, when John saw Jesus, he basically proclaimed, see the Lamb of God. He's going to carry the sin of the world. And he had a clear understanding of who Jesus is and who he is, a maker of his way. John knew he wouldn't be confused. And later he says of Jesus, he is, like, he is such a person that his straps of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. John the Baptist was first when it came to really knowing what Jesus is all about. He knew. He knew him. And yet, now the context is, he's been put in prison uh, somewhere around the east coast of the Mediterranean for about one year, uh, thrown, into Herod, uh, thrown into prison by Herod himself. And it wouldn't be too long before he discovers that he would be executed. This John staked his life to declare Jesus as Lord, accurately as Messiah, the bearer of all sin. He staked his life upon it. But now he was in jail, uh, hearing news of Jesus from his own disciples who came to regularly visit him and gradually becoming more and more discouraged. And to, kick, like, to really you know, emphasize this, he was put in jail because he was proclaiming Jesus and, and you know, also criticizing the authorities. And for a whole year in jail, Jesus hadn't even come to visit him. Like, I have uh, 11 soon leaders, and I have about nine ministry leaders, and my heart <laughs> is always guilty because I know I'm not visiting them enough. Here, we have Jesus not visiting his forerunner, uh, John the Baptist, for a whole year. And so you can imagine John's doubt, pain, hurt. He gave it all, and this Jesus isn't proximate to him. And now he's questioning whether Jesus really is who he thought him to be. Why? Because the Jewish Messiah 
if you, if you, we're going to do one day, one good day when I have enough time, a, a systematic study of the concept of Messiah in the Old Testament. And if you build that concept up, here are some of the things that you get from that. You see a powerful, authoritative, representative of God, God himself. And this God would be so powerful that kings and queens and governors would place themselves at his feet to be governed by him. And so that was the picture that John had of Jesus, that Jesus would be powerful and bring victory and also judgment upon his enemies and salvation to his people. And so verse 18, let's look at verse 18 though. This is what it says. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And the story right before that is he cured uh, the son of a widow. And also uh, he was with tax collectors and prostitutes. John might be going, what are you doing? Jesus, what are you doing? If you are the Messiah that I know you to be, where are the kings? Where are the groveling Roman governors? Where are the Jewish leaders that are proclaiming you as the Savior of Israel? Why are you with the prostitutes? Why are you with the lepers? Why am I in prison? At least make my imprisonment count, right? And I I hope this is striking a nerve with you. Uh, Don't you find yourself asking Jesus sometimes, usually in your greatest darkness, what are you doing? Why this? Why this broken relationship? Why is my son not coming to church? Why is this addiction still prevalent in my life? Jesus, what are you doing? I want you to think of that question for a while. Jesus, I thought you would make everything better. I thought my circumstances would improve and change once I believed in you. You are the Messiah, right? But I'm still sick in bed. My spouse still abuses me. My children won't obey me. My job is a dead end. My dream is unclear. I don't know what to do. I'm sorry, I'm just summarizing all the conversations I had the last week. This is not me projecting what I feel. It's amongst you, you're asking what Jesus is doing. Dear brothers and sisters, uh, Jesus hears you. And it's okay have these doubts. In fact, I would be really proud of you if you have had these conversations with Jesus. What are you doing in deep prayer? But we must also be careful. Uh, It's really in these times when you are doubtful of who Jesus is and you're doubtful of your circumstances, that's when you usually come to quick conclusions. We give up really early and we start adding things unto Jesus or we look for another Jesus. Verse 19 to 20. Uh, Let's look at that on the screen. Really interesting in the way that John phrases this. Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? Are you the one? Or do I have to keep on looking? In other words, if Jesus isn't the one, then John will not stop in his search to give up. He won't give up. He will look for the one. The search continues. So many people have tried out Christianity 
and they have a prepackaged life. Jesus, we know exactly where you're going to fit in. You will be my chief financial officer. Uh, you will help me bring in the fish, as we talked about Peter uh, two weeks ago. You will uh, be uh, my spiritual counselor. You will be my guru. You will help me make good moral decisions. And you have a place for Jesus. It's just that it's really uncomfortable once you put him into a corner of your life. Very uncomfortable. So what do you do when Jesus becomes uncomfortable and he expands his realm across all your life? What do you do? Usually, shall we look for another that's the question we have. And you all go looking for that another Savior. That's why a lot of people who have been in church and they're dissatisfied with Christ, they are addicted to their jobs. Their family becomes the necessary uh, justification of their lives. They go back to their clubs, their games, their addictions, their fantasies, because they're still looking for the one. Everyone worships, it's just we worship what we want to. All of you are looking for the one, right? Uh, something, someone, some system, some idea that will organize and, 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 and help, you, help, help you understand your life and help you overcome the, uh, the deficiencies in your life. You are looking for something to put it all together. And when Jesus doesn't give that to you, the life that you want, you don't give up. You're still looking. And so you're like, Jesus, I'm done with you, and I need another, the one. Uh, a lot of the reasons our children don't go to church after college, for 18 years, they have thought in what we call a Red Bull model of ministry, fun, games, pizza, movies. And after that, they're like, the world is more fun like, Jesus isn't as exciting as I thought he would be because sometimes we don't proclaim the gospel into their lives, telling them of the Jesus that they actually need and saying that this is a Jesus that you want, and it's not good enough. Like, if the church competes with the entertainment industry, we're not fun enough. And so they go to college in search of the one. And it's not Jesus by that time. KCPC. Uh, can you repeat after me? And I want you to intentionally mean this as you say it. Jesus is the one I've been looking for. I want you to think about this. Like, this requires deep self-awareness. I've been praying for the sermon for a whole week right now. Uh, we'll talk about this. A lot of the issue isn't because you don't know Jesus. A lot of the issue also comes from knowing that you don't know who you are. A lot of you don't know who you are, and that's why you need a different kind of savior. Uh, you define yourself as, hey, I need a, a, a romantic life. And so Jesus becomes the provider of your romantic life. I need money. Jesus becomes a provider of money. It's really based upon what you need salvation from that defines your Jesus, and that's the trap. You don't know who you are what you actually need. And I'm telling you, Jesus is the one that you need, but perhaps not in the way that you see yourself. What is your greatest need? We'll talk about that soon. In response to John's disappointment, arising from a misunderstanding of the fullness of Jesus' ministry, 
Jesus responds, verse 22, let's look at it. And he answered the disciples who were seeing what Jesus was doing, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus is referring to Isaiah 35, 5 through 6. Let's look at that. Uh, an Old Testament prophecy, uh, messianic in its quality. And it says, Then the eyes, on that day, one day when the redeemed are brought back, the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. This is what would happen when the Messiah comes. And Jesus is telling John, you need to remember this. But why this exact text? There are many, many, many messianic texts that prove the identity of Jesus. Like, he could have recited from Isaiah 53, the forbidden chapter, right? But why this verse? Because this is really responding to what John is looking for in a Messiah, and it's right after. Let's look at the whole context. Isaiah 35, 3 through 6. And this is what it says. Uh, so next. Yes. Uh, strengthen the weak hands and make, the firm, uh, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, right? And with the recompense of God, he will come and save you. And this was the Messiah that John was looking for. Just two verses before. Like John wanted salvation and political independence and power to come down to save Israel and condemn the nations that had made fun of, of Israel. John wanted the powerful Messiah. And Jesus is saying, your, your understanding of me is not inaccurate, it is incomplete. And he says, just two more verses I want to show you. Also when I come, not only will I bring vengeance, but if I really brought vengeance, none of you would survive because everyone is a sinner. No one is righteous. And if I came in my full messianic power and glory, you would burn up at my presence. And so this is what you need as well, verses 5 through 6. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And then justice will come. But a justice where the sons and daughters of God would be restored first and receive the gospel and be saved. That is the holistic ministry of Jesus. And this is what, what, what we have to understand. A partial understanding of Jesus, no matter how accurate, is not enough. It results in disappointment. Jesus will bring justice. Yes, a lot of people on the left and right are crying out justice on the other party or justice on the world, justice on the system. But you're part of that system. And if Jesus came as the judge, are you in the right place to say that you will survive while your, en while your enemies perish? A lot of people just say, God will accept me just as I am. So I don't have to fight against sin. Uh, it's okay if you have addictions to pornography or drugs. It's okay. Like God loves you just as you are. You know Jesus' mercy, but do you know his hatred of sin and his wrath against evil? You need to know 
who Jesus is fully. We need to know all of his ministry. Amen. And I, I see something here uh, that really breaks me. It should break you. Jesus comes to heal the blind, the deaf, the leper, the lame, the dead, the poor. These categories shows us that Jesus only interacts with those who are weak and dependent and need a savior. Jesus came as a savior. To many of you, Jesus is a teacher. To many of you, Jesus is a cheerleader. Many of you, you are legalistic, and so you, 25 cents of prayer and 25 cents of good works, and out comes from the vending machine called Jesus, the life that I want. You treat Jesus as a vending machine. Symptoms of that, you only pray when you're in trouble. You treat Jesus not holistically. Uh, you only need him when you're weak. And that's why, it says, why Jesus says, I have come for the weak. Not when you're strong, not when you're proud. Jesus comes for the weak. When I talk to atheists, and I wish I had more encounters with them because I'm so wrapped up in my pastoral bubble right now. But when I talk with people who don't believe in Jesus, one of the responses that I remember the most, why do you not believe in Jesus? The common answer is because religion, Jesus, and church is a crutch. I'm a strong man. I made it here. I don't need a crutch. And Jesus says, I come for the weak. I come for the poor. I come for those who need a savior. How self-sufficient are you that you have reinterpreted Jesus to not be a savior but a cheerleader? How self-sufficient and independent are you that Jesus comes not as who he said he is. I am Jesus. Hi, Bob. They're right. Christianity is a crutch. And it's so much more than a crutch. It is your leg. It is your heart. You are dead. You cannot see the truth. Jesus came to replace your life. But imagine this. Imagine this. And that's why Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is a kingdom of heaven. Now imagine this scenario. Let's say every time someone says, hi, I'm David, and you respond, hi, Bob, and you go to a doctor, and the doctor finds out that there is a, a, a mechanism in your ear that causes you to hear names wrong. And so he says, hey, I have a new ear and a new organ for you to hear better. And so he ha has a scalpel. He's like, okay, I'm going to carve out your ear and I'm giving you a new ear. If you think that you have a healthy ear, this is a horror story. You're going to run the other way. Like, I have a good ear. I hear correctly. It's not my ear that's a problem. You're actually Bob. And those people run away. Church is a crutch. I don't need that. My heart per functions perfectly. I have a moral system. I don't need Jesus. That surgeon will only be a savior when you know your heart is wrong and dead, when you know that your ear cannot hear the truth, when you know that your eyes cannot perceive the truth, 
To that person, the surgeon is a savior. Amen? Who is Jesus really depends on how you see yourself. That's why when, when we do QT every morning, the three questions, who is God in this passage? Who, is, who am I in this passage? And what is that God saying to a person like me? And when you have that figured out, when you know who Jesus says he is, and when you know who you are, then you can have a salvific relationship instead of a teaching relationship or a mentorship relationship or an economic advisor relationship. Who are you? If your core identity is, I am a poor person, then Jesus is here to give you money. But if you come here saying, I have nothing of worth in my life, I am dead in my sin, my flesh produces no good works, then Jesus can interact with you as your Savior. Amen? You must know who you are to know why you need Jesus. And today's passage finished with verse 23. I'll read it to you very slowly uh, because I want there to be a rhetorical impact, okay? Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I love that the ESV chose this word offended because not only is it an ancient word, uh, we live in offended territory today. Everyone's offended. Like, what are you offended about Jesus about? Because he's, you know, he's white. It's not true, but uh, he stands for the patriarchy, or he stands for corporate greed. He stands for this, he stands for that. And Jesus is saying, blessed is the one who is not offended by me because you know who you are, you know who I am, and you're not offended. You're not running the other way because I'm holding a scalpel to your heart. But Jesus is saying, blessed are you if you know that you need surgery and I came to give you my heart. Then you are blessed. Holistic wellness is what that refers to. Holistic wellness. Blessed is the one who really needs Jesus because they know who they are. You know when people say, hey, no offense, but, and you know everything that follows is offensive, right? <laughs> Jesus is saying this, no offense, no offense, but here I am. Think about that. No offense, but here I am. What does that mean? Jesus, in his status and his role and his function, is offensive. Why is Jesus so offensive. Why, when Jesus says, here I am, why are we supposed to be offended if we are of the flesh? The very fact that Jesus comes as the prophesied one, the Messiah, right, the Christos, the anointed one, that's the other translation. So Jesus comes as the anointed one. Why is that offensive in the Old Testament? Only three offices were anointed with oil, king, prophet, and priest. In other words, here I am, ta I come as king. In other words, you need to be ruled. That's what it implies about you. If Jesus comes as king, he's saying you need to be ruled. You need to know how to bow your knee. You need to know how to obey me. I would sooner trust 
the cockpit of a Boeing 757 to a five-year-old, then I would trust my life to myself. Do you get that? Like when I ask you, what's your dream? If you are talking from the flesh, I expect that you would pronounce disaster upon your life if you knew what you wanted. Like, remember the scene in uh, the first Avengers? And Loki comes and he says to a whole bunch of people, like, kneel, kneel before me. You, are, you deserve to be ruled and I am your ruler, right? Like, that's what Jesus is saying here. And because you think you're Captain America, you stand up and you say, no, like, we throw off all tyrants and all, you know. If you think you're Captain America, yeah, you throw off tyranny. But Jesus is saying, you need to be ruled. Are you offended yet? You don't know how to live your life well. You don't. And Jesus is saying, give me the keys to your life. I know what to do with your life so much better than you do. Because I love you. I've proven it to you. I'm almighty. I am omniscient. I can do so much better with your life that you're holding on to right now like this. Jesus comes as king, and that makes everyone angry. He is a prophet. The anointed one is a prophet to proclaim the truth of God. What, what does that imply about us? That we wouldn't know the truth if it was dangling in front of our eyes. We don't know the truth. That's why the interpretation of the sermon that we just heard 15 minutes ago is so different because the truth was dangling in front of you, but you interpret it by your flesh and not by the Holy Spirit. And so you see a truth that you desire, and Jesus is saying, no, I came here to give you the truth even though you hate it. And that's why all the prophets of the Old Testament died pretty viciously, right? Because people were offended by the truth about them that they were covenant breakers, that they were unfaithful, that they hated God and not loved him. All of us are spiritually blind to the truth of God's word, and it offends us when Jesus says, hey, no offense, but I come to teach you the truth. Jesus comes as priest to reconcile us to God, our Father. What that implies is, you cannot have any positive relationship with God the Father apart from Jesus. You are not what you make yourselves out to be. A globalistic understanding of Christianity, people say, hey, everyone is a ch child of God. No. God created you, and if creator status makes you father and son, then that's how you can interpret it. But what scripture actually says about unsaved people is you are enemies of God, and you always rebel against him. You're never in neutral territory. You oppose God in all that you do. That's why God is never first in your life. And Jesus says, blessed is the one who is not offended when they hear that I have come to give you a proper relationship with Jesus. You can approach the Father only through me. See, the problem isn't with Jesus or his identity or his ministry. I am the problem. Like, I had a soon leader yesterday that I visited pass out uh, uh, printed pieces of paper that we were supposed to attach to our, uh, uh, our mirrors. And the phrase said, you are looking at the problem. 
uh, and I give that to you every week. I, last week I said, you are the problem. Like we blame shift and that's the problem. And I give you that verse to plaster on your mirror and you put it on your spouse. <laughs> you're looking at the problem. You're the problem. Uh, you put it in your bank account. That's the problem. Uh, you are the problem. And Jesus is saying, that's why I came as king and prophet and priest. I came to rule over your life so that you can finally live in freedom. I came to give you truth that you wouldn't be fooled by lies of the world anymore. And I came to reconnect you to God the Father. Blessed when you say amen to that and are not offended. And I want to ask you, are you offended? Or do you say amen when you see, hear Jesus say, I have come as your Christos, the anointed one? Is that an amen? I don't know how you said amen right now. That was, that was a confession that requires driving a stake through your heart. And that means you die to yourself if you're able to say, Jesus is Lord. Because you declare yourself bankruptcy. You know, these days, uh, when I pray, uh, I pray in the morning and I also pray in the night. And I often say, okay, Jesus, uh, I need to go to sleep now in the night. And you know I can't do ministry when I sleep. And there's quite a few people in our church right now who are very, very close to accepting Jesus right now. That, that, that's a fact that I want you to know about us right now. There's a lot of people who are very close to accepting Jesus as Lord. Very close. And I'm asking, Lord, like, you need to be with them. You need to go to their house. You need to go to that spouse. You need to go and, and make yourself um, present in that house. You need to heal this brother. You need to heal that sister. Please go and visit that person. And you know what's offensive? It, Jesus doesn't go. He doesn't leave. And he stays right next to me. Jesus, what are you doing? So many people need you. My congregation needs you. And he draws closer, saying, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached them. And I say, yeah, that's exactly why you should be going to that house. And Jesus comes one step closer. He says the same thing. The blind shall receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached them. And then I understand what he's saying. He's my savior. And I am poor and deaf and blind. I'm a leper. I can't do anything good out of my flesh. And Jesus is clarifying who he is, but especially clarifying who I am that I would need him and appreciate him as Savior. And that is what helps me preach today. Not just because Jesus visited your homes, but because he visited me and he reminded me that I need him as a Savior. And you need to see that happen. Like, you need to see Jesus take one step closer. Blind see, the deaf hear, the lepers I cleanse. I need to understand, you have come for me, Lord. 
and receive him by faith. I believe that you are the Messiah, the anointed one, and I place my trust in you. You are my king, you are my priest, you are my prophet. Blessed is the one who is not offended when Jesus takes one step closer, saying, you need me. Dear KCPC, every week I try to make this clear. Jesus is Messiah. He is our Savior. The gospel of the cross of Jesus shows that you are broken in need of the blood of God himself. That's how bad you are. But you're that much loved as well. You are so broken and yet more loved than you are broken. That's who you are. And that causes great relief and great satisfaction. That is the foolish power of the gospel. In John 6.61, Jesus tells a very difficult parable that people need to eat of his flesh and drink his blood. And people are like, what the heck does that mean? And then Jesus says this, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense at this? Are you offended when Jesus says, you can't have eternal life unless you eat and drink of me, intimacy with me, trust in me. And Peter's response, I want this to be your response. Verse 68 and 69, I don't know if you have it on a script, uh, on text, but please, please show it. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed. You must believe. Amen? We have believed and have come to know. Now you perceive him correctly that you are the Holy One of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the King, the Priest, the Prophet. May that be your confession today. Stop dancing around Jesus' Lordship Stop trying to conceal pockets of your life that you still want to control when Jesus is saying he's king. Stop pretending that you are sinless when Jesus is saying, with his blood dripping from his hands, I am the sacrifice for you. And stop saying that I know everything that I need to know when Jesus says, I am the truth and the life and the way. Blessed are you when you receive that. Amen? When you know this Lord, he will save you. He is a mighty savior. 